0: I got it,
1: yep. You got it? Alright. I got it too. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Lost Explores. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris Sacknessum. Chris, how are you doing today? David,
0: I'm, I'm, uh, well, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm winding up a very uh, successful uh, teaching semester uh, at the university. Although there's been a lot of uh, illness, a couple of of people down. uh, But uh, I'm torn between tremendous excitement and optimism and uh, serious grumpiness, you
1: know? And I think that's an okay place to be. (laughs) <laughs> it is, especially when you're a writer, because the opportunities to make a living as a freelance writer are shrinking every day. And it can seem a bit daunting, but I think that in our private conversations, we've come to the same conclusion, which is that we just have to do it ourselves, which, to be fair, is what I've been doing for the past 10 years anyway. So, so I'm kind of used to it, but... You do wonder if there ever will be just a break, and, you know, people will be paid adequately for their work, and good work will actually be appreciated, and it's easy to get down, it's easy to get down, but that's all, as Alan Watts says, uh, you know, trying to avoid a negative experience is the negative experience, accepting the negative experience is actually a positive experience, so we move forward, we soldier forth.
0: And, you know, and things like percussion instruments and punching bags or, you know, targets to aim at, those things are all good, you know. I think that working out some of that, that physical energy is, uh, you know, that kind of went without saying when people were, do, were having to do more uh, work, work. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm always reminded when I'm, I'm faced with sort of a household task that really um, challenges my hand Use, you know, and not just coordination, but strength. And it, I, I noticed and I think to myself, wow, you know, I used to take that for, I mean, I would have done that, you know, easily when I was living on, you know, really on the land because I was having to do so much right, more. Right. And I think just getting uh, physical, not in, I, for me, the, the gym stuff doesn't quite do that in, as, as well. I need some other channels to work out that um, well, it's not aggression exactly. But what's wrong with aggression, you know? I think hitting yeah. some things, you know, a bag, yeah. uh, for me, it, like all drumming, mallet type of things are really good in terms of music. Uh, I, I think that kind of physicality is so mm-hmm. important. Um, yeah,
1: having, having sex is good for that. Yes, too. it
0: is. Yes, it is. And I think that's the real emphasis. Of, uh, the, in part, it is the pure physicality of that, that we often kind of need to, to wrap that up in emotional and psychological, caring and sharing and stuff. And, you know, why, why can't it just be humping and bumping? You know, sometimes that's yeah, really yeah, where the action is.
1: smells. You know, weird smells. Let's get let's get weird with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, well, right up, and we're off. Yeah, we're off to the off to the races. Well, I have my five words to choose. too. I have my. We're gonna open the show here with the imaginative challenge that Chris gave me two weeks ago, uh, which was to invent my own experiment to investigate. Uh, a current issue. So, you ready? I am, I am. And this is, you, ready, you ready, know,
0: ready? for listeners, this is a really, really important imaginative skill that is not being taught at university level in any of, of the obvious areas <laughs> of the sciences, but just in general. So we need to really kind of nurture this in our, our younger people. If, if anyone's involved in the act of raising or educating kids in any way, at any level, think about this and think about what... Because the other challenge that, that I uh, entrusted David with is that this has to be achievable. You know, that should be obvious in the idea of an experiment. But we're not talking about experiments. Is you know, if you got some sort of you know billion dollar grant from the Gates Foundation, we're talking about things you can actually do, at kind of a humble you know level. So hit us up.
1: Well, this I'm just checking on Gus. This took inspiration from your experiment, which was to have a device that allegedly emitted sound, but didn't emit, emit sound right. and see who responded to it. This technology is not pricey. It will involve technology, but it will involve the use of deepfakes, right? And deepfake technology is getting more utilitarian and egalitarian by the day. So I don't believe this would be a super expensive endeavor whatsoever. But one of my, my key interests in pop culture uh, in sociology in general right now is people's adherence to certain uh, mouthpieces, certain figures on the news, right? Their, their ability to just sort of trust uh, Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow or somebody like that. Right. So I would get uh, people in a room and I would have them fill out a questionnaire uh, sort of to get a, a feel for their political leanings, right, left, right, Democrat, Republican, what have you, and I would start by playing clips uh, of their preferred newscaster and see, have them rate on a scale of one to ten how much they agreed with what they were seeing on the TV. And as we moved along in the experiment, I would have uh, doctored deepfake videos where the things that the newscasters were saying would get either completely absurd or diametrically opposed to what these people state that they believe on their initial questionnaire. And what we would be measuring would be somebody's susceptibility to listen to one of these anchors uh, no matter what they're saying. Like, what can they get away with? Can we have Rachel Maddow... (coughs) make a full heel turn and, and say, you know, for 2024, honestly, Donald Trump is the best choice for president. Or could we get Tucker Carlson to say, you know, <laughs> I've changed my tune on this whole thing. Uh, I got really into Che Guevara, and I'm thinking that socialism <laughs> might, be the, might be the way to go. But I, wouldn't that be cool, though? Wouldn't that be interesting to see uh, durationally Right? This might be something that we do over the course of two or three sessions, right? But to see if it's actually possible through you know, all of these signifiers that people are used to responding to in a positive way and, and putting words in the- have you seen any of these deep fakes? Yes. Where there's like a Tom Cruise deep fake yeah, and it yeah. looks exactly like Tom Cruise? Uh, I, don't, I, just, I don't think that that technology is that far out of, uh, out of reach.
0: No, I don't think so either, and I don't. I'm not sure, given the, uh, you know, the 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 celebrity status of some of the people that would be the obvious choices, w- whether they have any recourse legally to, and I think in some cases they would be right in on that. Um, if if they, you know, if if you wanted as a courtesy to say, look. Uh, could we could we do some psychological experimentation? And this is precisely what our sociology and psychology departments should be doing across you know America and the world. I think that'd be a terrific thing. Um,
1: yeah, I think it would be really cool. I'd, I would I would I would love to to just be able to see like you know how much of what how much of what people believe is actually a belief versus blind tribalism. Well, you know,
0: and also, there, there, it's interesting because there is so much polling uh, technology that's available now that could be enlisted. You know, that, that they have now, um, well, in Australia, they call it the, the worm because you can see the graph sort of show up on as people are following on. But it allows people to respond, you know, second to second. So you can really track, you know, the moment there was a break, Uh, And they're doing that, you know, this is how they came up with the the uncanny valley idea in robotics and the presentation of the human face. that Mm -hmm. That term, if people don't know, comes from a rising degree of empathy and connection as figures become more realistic, but only to a point when they become too realistic and they're seen nevertheless to not really be human. Uh, creepiness and psychological uh, aversion uh, kicks in and that is a huge falling off and that falling off in the graph is where the term on the uncanny valley for listeners who don't know Uh, but I think what you're proposing is is really could be end up creating some beautiful visualizations of very very specific evolutions of disbelief or distrust or not in many cases, you know. I mean, whatever, mm-hmm. and I think there's another really lovely thing about this in terms of uh, the ethics and the, the, the practical value of experiments is that you want them to, to produce more information. You really don't want them to kind of fill in a gap or, or just to test a hypothesis. I find the most interesting experiments are the ones that are kind of pursued more open-handedly and open-mindedly and then create a base of data from which to really develop a, a working mm-hmm. hypothesis that's ground that isn't just a what if or maybe this is it's coming out of a response to data but i could see that being being really interesting and it would be manageable um, you could do it in small groups, but simply, you know, the, the benefit would be, you know, taking, having the ability to do that over many small groups. But mm-hmm. you could really build up an interesting kind of visualization. And there's such good things being done in terms of visualizing quantitative data now and making it more dimensional rather than just numbers and, you know, percentages and you know really being able to see some things i would i would i would really uh i would love to be running a psych or sociology department to be able to say let's give that a try or, or a media studies yeah. department
1: you know right right imagine getting a deep fake of ibram x Kendi. you know that race hustler yes. guy who's always on tv uh and getting him to convince A liberal through deepfakes that Kanye West saying I love Hitler on the Alex Jones show is actually because uh, Kanye is a victim of of white supremacy and therefore can't be held responsible it's actually that kind of sounds like something he might actually say but you see what I mean like just like these subtle manipulations like could you get these hated figures like Alex Jones or like Kanye West now or whatever to be rehabilitated in the eyes of the um, participants in the study just by changing the mouthpiece that says things it might even be cool to just straight up take you know, Tucker talking points and put them in Maddow's mouth and vice versa and just see what happens see if there's any dial shifts at all
0: Look, I think you're proposing within a a kind of scientific research framework uh, the ultimate art form of our time. And I think it brings together Mm. things like, you know, the Babylon Bee and the Onion and what comedy uh, used to be uh, before sort of uh, shame and cancel culture uh, eliminated almost any topic uh, of of real (laughs) importance from, uh, you know, the arena, I I think there's just some tremendous things that could
1: come out of that. Um, there's this artist named uh, Brad Trammell, and he cracks me up because he's a satirist who puts together these kind of woke slideshows, but they're they're so ridiculous. Uh, one of them is called uh, "Do White su- Does Does the White Supremacy Movement Have a Racism Problem?" And, <laughs> and then. Uh, and another one is uh, it's a it's like a little infographic line drawing uh, that's popular right now. That kind of house style for so many magazines, but it's a little uh, Hitler face with a with a no strike through it, and it says uh, uh, H- Hitler's problematic and toxic history. It's just like, and the, the slideshow is basically using this kind of woke language to explain why why Hitler's bad. He's so funny, man. He's he's such a good satirist. He really gets it he, he, he's a, a cutting satirist well I think this is
0: where we have to get to in in the next year the next two years if we don't I think we're going to be overwhelmed with despair and frustration because all of these things uh, however we want it the, I mean the rubric might be uh, you know fake news you know uh, Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. we come to terms with that as a culture, as a society, is is really going to be. Uh, I mean, we've created the problem for ourselves. That I think that's almost the biggest problem we face. Into you know, and that's saying a lot. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm glad you like that. On that note, do you have a a band? I and do, an and they,
0: they're perfectly in line. Okay, with. Uh, uh, I was I, I, the phrase came to just driving down the the strip uh and I don't mean the, the Las Vegas Boulevard strip I mean just the the highway you know uh coming mm-hmm. into town and uh there's a barbecue joint a chicken joint and uh they were advertising Boneless Thursdays, and I thought, "There you go. The Boneless Thursdays is my band name." <laughs> I think that's just—that's great, man. That's so. And cool. uh, they are uh, actually um, very uh, sleek, athletic, kind of dance-trained performance artists. But they don't wear fat suits, they wear chubby suits, plus Mm. sized suits for women, dad bod suits for the males, and they have a cultivated, slovenly uh, look. You know, you might have seen, we talked earlier about Merriam-Webster's word of the year is gaslighting, well oxford dictionary kicked in with goblin mode and i have not heard that phrase at all they go to great lengths to uh explain it but i think this fits into your uh experiment frame of like because anyone i mean i don't that once it's explained i get it but i haven't heard about it and i did a a back uh a retroactive search for that with my uh, linguistic software and i don't see that being a a popular phrase at all and it's not a word it's two words obviously so there's something strange there but the boneless thursdays are heavily into goblin mode but their album is titled we apologize for everything and i think that (laughs) sums up the mood of the time and of course all of the, the the individual tracks are apologizing for things over which no one has any control whatsoever and really no involvement and what the subtext then is, is that the apology movement and apology as a a strategy of communications, if you invert that, you're also taking a great deal of credit It's a very perverse way of asserting importance put that way.
1: Yeah, I've never heard it put that way, but that's a really good point. The the wave the the vogue of apologizing for everything implies that the apologizer has any kind of authority to do so. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean it's uh, because, you know, and there's never really a sense of accountability other than perhaps financial liability, which we've mentioned, which is the real, that's really the theme of, of modernity in America, is, is really just liability, yeah. legal liability and, right. and reparations, you know, having to pay out some, that's what's going on. But the apology culture doesn't really address that you know because that's not what you're if, you're. if you're being sued you're not apologizing you're paying someone off you're getting blackmailed you know so that doesn't work that way so what I'm, I'm I think actually the apology as communications device in our time is actually a really weird way uh, mm-hmm. of delivering a kind of press release and claim to authority
1: right that's so that is very interesting and it adds a whole new dimension to what is going on culturally right now. People love to apologize for things. Well also, that's the, exact why why would they want to do that?
0: That doesn't make any sense if apology is legit and what it appear you know, what it appears to be. It it wouldn't no one would want to do that. That would be something that you would do you know very yeah. carefully, but now it's become an, an act of virtue signaling,
1: you know yeah, I don't mind apologizing if I did something wrong. that's fine, but when somebody will post or say, you know oh I'm having a a bad day today," and you'll see all these comments are like, "Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that i'm not, I don't care." <laughs> I don't care. Exactly. Especially if you're not. You, exactly. You know, like, if my, if, if my wife or my friends say that they're having a bad day, then I would be like, oh man, sorry to hear that. Because I mean it. But a stranger, I don't give a shit if you're having a bad day. <laughs> it's, it's none of my business.
0: Well, oh or no, I think it's the other way around. It's none of my business, therefore. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. that you're going out of your way not to care. It's just that that's not in your field of reference. And, you know, that, that makes me think of, our, in our last episode, and we were talking about some of the, uh, well, discouragement or disengagement with contemporary writing or contemporary culture or whatever. And I found myself saying a very simple statement, but I think it needs to be repeated and unpacked a little bit. You know, I said, I just realized I'm not the audience. For certain things And I said some right. a couple times right. you and I we're not the audience you know mm-hmm. And I think if mm-hmm. if we really just contemplate that for a moment, I mean we're aware now that that all of media and culture has fragmented and atomized. you know you go to Spotify and they've got genres of music that are exponentially greater than, than I would have experienced when I was like starting to listen to AM radio, you know, as a kid, mm-hmm. you know? It's mm-hmm. just blown up, so there's all of this variety, all of these choices, all of these options, and there isn't a, a dominant mainstream culture. We've blown that up. So we know in many ways that, that we're often not the audience for something, and we have no problem saying that oftentimes. But it's true all the time that that we're not always going to be the audience. Therefore, we don't need to have an opinion. We don't need to feel left out. We don't need to apologize on behalf of having a view. It's just certain things aren't there. So when you say you don't care about the stranger, it's because they're a stranger. (laughs) Yeah. you know yeah. the exactly. world there are exactly. 8 billion people you can't really credibly engage with any more really than what our ancestors were doing you know 10,000 years ago you know we really haven't grown that capacity that much more really to care you know our our sense of
1: empathy mm-hmm. is no no greater you know so you know yeah it's like a, a you know a and a middle-aged single uh, father of two who never sees his kids saying to a stranger oh I'm so sorry to save your sorries and go take care of your kids how about that? How does that sound? <laughs> well It's just completely misplaced.
0: You know I'll, I'll just um, a story came to mind from the past and this is the past mm-hmm. I'm sure it's different now and it it wasn't representative even in the moment not where uh, not where I lived anyway but I was in Melbourne, Australia and uh, they did have a homeless problem around where I lived around my, where my warehouse studio was but I was downtown in sort of the central business district and uh, this guy came up to this uh, couple passing by and he said I haven't eaten in a couple of days and mm-hmm the guy and the couple walk and goes, well, that's not very smart, is it? And there was another sort of, uh, I get, I think he was a partner of the homeless dude. And that guy just started laughing so hard. And I thought, and, and the the, the guy who said, well, that it's not very smart. He, he didn't mean that meanly. He just, he didn't really know what was going on. He was just responding mm-hmm. really blankly and, and, you know, completely innocently really, to this remark so, So, Mm -hmm. yeah sometimes you just have to go, well uh,
1: you're a stranger and I don't know why you're talking to me (laughs) there's this one guy who, uh, I used to have a car and the transmission was all messed up and it couldn't go in reverse so I was usually very careful not to park on a hill, right? like a hill with a little parking strip there, because I would be stuck. I'd have to get it pushed out. Well, one day I did. It was just the slightest of hills, but a hill nonetheless, and I couldn't get it out. And so a homeless guy walked up to me and said, hey man, can I get $5? And I said, I will give you $5 if you help me push this car out. And the homeless guy said, you're treating me like a dog. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. See, it's just such a relief to to laugh about things like that, isn't it? I mean, that's the other thing that everyone Mm -hmm. needs to acknowledge. And I think particularly heading into this time of year is that uh, we need need some good laughter about all this, you know? It's like, Mm -hmm. it may be perverse, but it... uh, what the hell with it? That's what laughter is, is like. You don't need any sort of explanation yeah. of what makes you laugh. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. Everybody just needs to chill out and, and laugh about this shit because it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not going anywhere. We have to steal our souls and steal S-T-E-E-L, our souls against this, uh, you know, and, and S-T-E-A-L. Yeah, steal Both our means. souls
0: back, man. That's really...
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, um, what's
0: your aphorism? Okay. Well, I've opted uh, not to phrase this as a question, uh, and I think that's another sort of uh, a mini tool to remember. Uh, questions can be ways of softening things and opening things up and making them more inclusive. And sometimes you want to just hammer the nail, you know. Uh, you, you really. Uh, you, you don't want the uh, ambiguity. Uh, of a question. So, here it is. It's possible that the entire human mission foams down to a single goal, creating the alien life that haunts
1: our dreams. Mm. Mhm. Yeah, I resonate with that big time. I like that. I like the I like foams the down verb form. Yeah. I think that's kind yeah. of, I, I don't know where that came from, but I like it. It sounds sort yeah. of squishy and, you know. Gnostic, pleroma style type stuff, yeah. I dig it. I, I dig the foams down. And uh, yeah, the idea that we exist to create dream worlds, that's a cool idea. That's a really cool idea. That's definitely one one of the reasons, I think. But, uh, and that sense of yeah, that's, that's a good alien
0: one. life, you know, whether it, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, not so much God, but certainly the whole angel idea and all of the, the folkloric elves and fairies and then extraterrestrials. And, I mean, there's an enormous amount of world culture effort that's gone into that. I mean, a giant imaginative... Uh, Open-air dreaming for at least 10,000 years, probably more like 250,000. So mm-hmm. all of that, you know, all of those dreamers, those souls, those fools and strangers and dead people uh, must have had something on their minds, you know. They must, they yeah. couldn't all be wrong, you know, so... Mm-hmm. It, it, whether or not we achieve that is, is is another question. but I think tying into your uh, media experimentation and, and the how we perceive and acknowledge truth versus our belief systems, the the big question is, could we really recognize an alien life form that we've created? We may not, you know we, we may have already we may be surrounded by them, you know and uh we just refuse to believe them or have somehow have you know they're just not on our our radar screen they're structurally invisible that's possible i think it's probable yeah okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) are you ready for your new imaginative challenge
1: let's well, go cool. imagination uh, engage.
0: Okay. I'm thinking that we'll we, we definitely want a, a real time this episode results. So the spotlight okay. is on and it's kind of hot. but we're if it's if we really think it's great, I'm, I'm going to just float that we might give you a chance to really rehearse it uh, and I'll package it up and we'll release it as a Christmas single you know. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. this is going to require you to do some wrapping. And it's Christmas themed. So you've got a frame there. And it could be solstice framed. You know, it's the holiday season, not just the, Mm -hmm. the birth of the Christ child and the manger and the three wise men. You're free to sort of really use any of the props Uh, You know, in any way, but it needs to be hyper woke. Got it. It really needs to put your woke on. And so you've got everybody uh, from uh, the Virgin Mary to Scrooge to draw on. You can use any of that, all those props, Mm -hmm. machines, contraptions but it has to be a rap and it's got
1: to be super woke. <laughs> All right. So just to just to reiterate, it's the holidays. It's a rap and it's woke. That's exactly right. That's exactly okay. right.
0: You've just Elijah the whole thing. I have one of my students who's okay. he's really he's just got the gift of summary and he never crushes things too much. But he really, he gets the essence, and you've just done that. You've elijah
1: that beautifully. Okay, perfect, okay. And that's for today? Yes, it is. Okay, all right, we'll see what we can do here. All right, my rap skills are a little rusty. Although I have put on several house show performances where I, I rapped and I did one concert at a venue called The Opolis in Norman, Oklahoma. It was a packed venue, and I did seven songs, seven rap songs, uh, with a DJ. That was my very short rap career. But you didn't know that about I, I you, know, you, didn't you know.
0: know, I'm not surprised, though, and I do think at some point that we need to have uh, a debate that you and I have, to have kind of, of discussed and hinted um, around from time to time about... Uh, hip-hop and rap uh, I think that that should be something We, we remember for the new year uh, But anyway We're looking forward to What you're going to come up with And I think if it if it catches fancy uh, We might think of, of Just uh, a little actual Music video single You know For the <laughs> holidays
1: How many Well, I'll just I'll see what I can come up with I was, I was going to Ask, but we'll just we'll see what happens. What were you gonna ask? You now go. I'm curious. Oh, just how how many bars uh, we wanted here? Oh, look, I Space I think I look. A, no,
0: no, we're not gonna we're not gonna quantify or specify. We're just we're we're hoping for the best, and we're we'll listen with attention to whatever you come up with and work from there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, what are we getting into today? Well,
0: I've been out lost exploring with my experimental group of of students, you know, and that's the way I think of my uh, university uh, opportunities is that I really, really set myself the goal of trying to learn something from each crop of new young minds that come in, and it's... uh, it's interesting to uh, to see how that works. I don't know if other people have as high a uh, priority on that as I do from the instruction professor or teacher point of view. I really insist on, on learning something and I've, I've, I'm pretty good at my uh, interrogations, you know, and I've got a whole semester to work with so I can use a lot of different techniques and kind of go at it from, you know, oblique angles, direct angles, softly, gently, very straightforwardly, a whole mix of techniques. But uh, one of the things that I have floated with my group in various different ways is our notion, as in yours and mine, our focus, and this is something that we emphasize in the Psychic Defense Manual, which is coming out now in the new year. We're very excited about that. That's going to be something to buy, own, use, and talk about with many, many people. But we put forward the idea there of of the schism, uh, of really dramatic, uh, not just juxtapositions, but real conflicts, real fundamental fault line divisions within culture, and That seems like it's easy to do because we, you know, we're told every five seconds that we live in a very divided era and everything is polarized and, but oftentimes those mean really uh, pretty basic and not very interesting uh, social political uh, values and ideas that get a lot of attention. And what you and I have been talking about or trying to is, is deeper, deeper levels of schismatic conflict. And So I've I've introduced that at various points to my students. And they came back with, I think, what is an interesting response. They asked the question in return, uh, and I'm I'm a little bit more articulate than they are, uh, but the question comes back, are the schisms of our time as interesting as we would like to think they are? are we giving ourselves too much credit? I mean, this kind of was a little bit of the inspiration from our my thought about apology being a weird pat on the back. You know, it's kind of a backhanded pat on the back, but it's nonetheless something odd if you invert it. And I thought, well, what if this sense of, yes, this hugely divided, schismatic, you know, dramatic, what if underlying that is it's really not, as interesting or certainly not as complicated as we would like to think ourselves to be. Uh, I thought that was an interesting way to open this and to throw that back to you because, uh, well, from many points of view, but just in pure generational terms, you fall halfway between them and myself, and I think that alone gives you a different perspective. But it also is a good way for you and I to interrogate a a really deep thematic uh, notion that we've had from the start. This is our 130th episode. So we've been looking at schisms in culture uh, really from the get-go. So what do you think of this idea that, that maybe... Uh, we're, you know, to to quote that old Chinese proverb, maybe we're not living in such interesting times, you know?
1: I th- Yeah, I think that you're on to something. This became, this came to my attention recently with the fights that have broken out over Sight and Sound's Top 100 movie poll. I don't know if you've been following this, but uh, there was a Chantal Ackerman film... Uh, It's the woman's name, and I'm terrible at French, but it's where she's, like, cooking and cleaning. It's a kind of a feminist masterpiece. Apparently a very good movie. And Paul Schrader, who's got to be in his 80s by now, wrote a Facebook post where he said, Look, I love this movie. I think it's a great film. But the fact that this somehow jumped to number one on Sight & Sound's poll feels like a kind of woke, thumb-on-the-scale type thing. Really innocuous post. And you just saw people on Twitter just start to, like, light into this guy, right? Like, with a kind of vitriol that really should be reserved for actual pedophiles and racists, right? And that mismatch of energy, you know, relative to what he said versus what was uh, sort of delivered unto him, uh, started making me think, like, we have no clear idea of, of what the actual important things are right now I think is as, as recently as you know my youth in high school things like 9-11 the Iraq war uh, those were some pretty heavy topics and people still didn't speak to each other the way that they speak to each other about you know a criticism of a movie or Lady Gaga's dress or something like that and I, I think that the uh, the volume uh, and the intensity of the criticism is directly inverse to to how important the issues are, right? You start to talk about climate change, and people actually start to get a little bit less intense when you're supposedly talking about the end of the world as we know it. And people will be like, well, you know, you need to just go check out the data and blah, blah, blah. And then Paul Schrader says, uh, I don't think this movie is, it deserves to be number one. And people are like, you bigot. You you Woman hater, you see what I mean? It's it's a weird inversion of priorities. Oh, look!
0: I and, and this is you know we have talked about uh, from pretty early on in in the podcast about the technique of inversion, and it's something I really emphasize in my classes and workshops and in in the creative writing uh, textbook. But it's something we've talked about a lot on the show, and it is such a powerful tool because it really is a way of not just bridging apparent schisms but either respecting the dynamic energy that flows between them or the schisms kind of disappear at least within our own psychic confusion and that's what we should be you know concerned about first you know we need to be concerned about our own heads you know first and then we can start right. thinking about you know other people. If we can resolve some confusions within our own minds, we're going to project a lot less confusion for other people to deal with. And inversion is a great technique for doing that. And I think you've you've demonstrated that again well. And we'll keep doing that because I just find it it's it's one of those evergreen, ever fresh, ever strong mm-hmm. techniques. And it doesn't hurt if it doesn't, you know... You don't have to, you know, apply it all the time. But it's just there as kind of a multiplex tool, you know? A really handy thing. Inversion.
1: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you think about the issues that that we do have now, I've noticed that the ones that seem to matter the absolute most get completely swept under the rug. We seem to be constantly given these... The funnel is the wrong word, but focus points. It's kind of when I want my son to do something and he's you know kind of being a pain in the butt about it. I can distract him with keys or something like that. It feels like a big you know January sixth, for example, is a great is a great distraction for people to argue about you know, was this an assault on democracy was it and you know, meanwhile, of course, the real issue that's under all of it is that all of these politicians are bought and paid for and are making decisions that are detrimental to you and I, to, to our direct lives. And we're arguing about a bunch of hillbillies who, you know, tried to carry off a podium from the, uh, from the Capitol building. It just doesn't... It seems like there are issues, but they're not the issues that we talk about.
0: Well, I think you put it really well in the simple phrase of mismatched energy. And, and what the, the technique of inversion then further suggests is that notion of mismatch can actually be looked at in a kind of algorithmic sense. We can get a more precise fix on that. Uh, and we can see about balance. And in some cases, it's directly inverted, you know, where the disproportion is just so powerful. And I think you're... Uh, comparison of say concerns about climate change with you know who's on the red carpet in front of an award show or whatever mm-hmm. uh, those are almost you know flipped it's like this weird mirror amplification um which reminds me of a great uh filter in the music program the apple program logic pro you know they have voice well mo- most vocoders have this uh, where one of the voices you know you have delay and deeper and helium and robot and robot harmony and all this stuff, but just megaphone you know megaphone, and that 's what often we 've got going is is just a megaphoned thing but the the interesting mm-hmm. thing about that is and going back to our idea of visualizing information. In a in a sound sense, in a in a vocal tract sense, you can actually get a, a a visual display of what the megaphone voice, what that's done to a normally recorded voice, and how how it's dis- so the distortion really has some mathematical parameters, but certainly some immediate visual ones, and I think that would be really cool to. Uh, to show. but I think what, what we're saying when, when if we're questioning whether or not we're living in interesting times and whether all, all these schisms and mismatches of energy and priority are you know meaningful are significant, uh, maybe they're not. Maybe there's a real kind of uh, predictable algorithm to it all. That's, my, that's kind of what my suspicion is becoming. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that there's an algorithm towards the the things that we're focused on. So that, yeah, like and the focus that we're, the, we're being guided the way
0: we're yeah. defining this polarization, div- divisiveness, this energy we're giving ourselves credit for a lot of social turmoil, uh, and we think it's a lot more than in the past. And I I think that's very dubious. But we're mm-hmm. although we're complaining about the turmoil, and that's the it's it's a self uh, sustaining, you know, frenzy uh, we're also uh, well, the, the we're, we're following a, a pattern that, a, 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 pre, a preset that we don't even really know about and I think that ties back into your experimental idea finding what our presets are, you know Uh, Because a lot of the time we're not really uh, responding to or we're merely responding to uh, the larger media landscape, social environment Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. really initiating, not really creating, not really falling outside our preset patterns. There is an algorithm that's determining the turmoil and it's it it's beautifully, uh, you know. Productive, generative, and and potentially self sustaining, but w- it's not something that we uh, we can either apologize for or take credit for. We're we're sadly the tools of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes, you know, something else that I'm thinking about. You know, it's kind of a almost a cliche at this point, but they they you I've heard this said many times that you know if people actually just sort of sat down, and chatted with each other they would agree about most things and it's suddenly so i always think about these things from a kind of a a top-down perspective and what i think you're doing really well today also with the apology conversation that we have right like the centering of the individual i like that you're putting some kind of agency on these problems as well because i think of it in terms of you know they are distracting us right but what you're saying is we are distracting ourselves we're giving too much importance to things that just kind of don't matter and i love the idea that everybody just needs to chill out because it's not that bad (laughs) right (laughs) everything's just kind of fine right uh i don't know I i just think that that's a cool inversion right it's like well maybe they aren't doing it like maybe we love this a little bit too much
0: you know just to contemplate that perspective that's the other thing about the basic imaginative challenge that we all face or should face every day of being able to entertain for a moment some different perspectives that way i mean and and that is one of the old standbys of, of positive thinking and the origin you know one of the original points of, the, of any sort of self-help movement is that just the question of well if something that you claim is bad keeps happening to you, or if you're in a certain situation and you, you say you don't like, what's the harm in looking at it and going, well, maybe I do like this? Where's my level of agency? There's no harm in ever asking that question. You know, where is my level, my, my potential for agency within
1: this particular right. frame? Right. Nobody asks that question, really,
0: <laughs> you know?
1: Right, right. Everybody yeah. Everybody seems to think that they're devoid of any kind of agency. And my position of, you know, they are distracting us, and their position of, well, we can't do anything, both sort of take the agency out of the whole equation. And this lines up very well with just the track that I've been on in general of radical self-responsibility you know how much of this stuff are we am I just generating out of thin air and how much of it on the flip side would disappear if I simply stop thinking about it just would, just would not affect my life in the least if I didn't know it existed
0: well see that's a really you know important question to be thinking about because that speaks to the fundamental uh, framework you have for uh, reality you know That's really the big, that's the, I think, almost the critical plank in any individual's worldview. And that is entirely uh, in one's control to to make a choice Mm -hmm. there, to make a decision on that. And it makes me think of a wonderful moment when I was, uh, I was in Montreal, which is a really cool city, and uh, it's a great burlesque city. It's uh, where the Cirque du Soleil people originally started. It's a street theater and kind of an analog of the of the Edinburgh uh, Festival. There's a great uh, festival in Montreal, but I was there and it was really cold, rainy day. And uh, there was this enormous protest march going on. And it started off with one theme uh, parents uh, concerned about all the attention deficit diagnoses and the uh, use of, of medication on on young kids, but it had merged into a First Nation uh, Native Canadian uh, people protest and about four or five other groups and then it just got out of... it was ridiculous, it was ridiculous. It was all peaceful, it really was, uh, but it was just so confused. And there was this one dude who looked like something out of a Terrence McKenna hallucination. And he had this really well made sign. I mean this was not your cardboard thing. This was crafted. And it, it it the printing was so really clear. Like it with the Kinkos. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know the and it was no agency without sovereignty, and Ooh. the odd okay. thing was, okay, with all of these these messages, all of these people mm-hmm. megaphoning you know there's some point of view into the the ether, and no coherence in the total takeout message. Uh, I started recording because it was just this amazing Brownian noise, you know there was just no mm-hmm. no clear thing it wasn't quite that you know peaceful there were people shouting but everyone you know would check out that sign and they couldn't work out what the message was you know Mm
1: -hmm. it was
0: Mm -hmm. and it's not like they didn't understand the words necessarily but they didn't understand the words (laughs) (laughs) and I thought that was so telling you know I really, I thought that was... Because people don't really like to think in terms of agency. And sovereignty might also sound like some sort of responsibility. And it's suddenly about what we would need to do rather than some demand of what other people or institutions do.
1: You know? Mm -hmm. Ooh. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a completely radical idea right now and i think i wonder if this isn't linked to the consumerism of the 50s through the 90s of generations of americans being used to the power of their dollar to to sway things this feeling that became linked you know used to be that if you bought something it got you late or it made you cool and then in the 2000s that shifted into if you buy the right product, you're actually doing a good thing. This water bottle gets recycled. If you cut up your plastic rings, you can save a sea turtle, and it gave uh, people not necessarily a sense of agency, but the ability to to purchase uh, their righteousness, right? Which still outsources their righteousness to somebody else, because you're not recycling those bottles. That's somebody else's responsibility. All you have to do is put it in the can, right? So it... it, it Put this barrier up between right action and right outcome. That now we're at this point where we just we're completely divorced from what really matters and what the real purposes of our lives could be.
0: Well, look, you know, if nothing else, you have touched on something that I, I just, just crossed the desk, um, in the last couple of days, uh, mm-hmm. which is a, ph- a phenomenal harmonic. Uh, and, and needs further investigation. But I've mentioned in the past that I've access to these just you know world class world media analytics from some friends in the past who are connected with one of the big uh, the top three big advertising agencies in the world. But there's recently there, there's a lot of data, but there's some good summaries, and there's usually a lead article in an old style professional journal. Uh, scholarly sense and the lead story uh, that just uh, crossed the desk is the enormous revenue stream that green communications and the emphasis and urgency Mm -hmm. and all things that can be considered good deeds uh the word empathy isn't repeated as often. Altruism is uh, the author's term, which I think is a good one to bring back. But the invention of, of, of the reinvention of altruism is a subhead, and and what it's meant for the advertising agencies of the world, the media giant media companies, uh, all of the commercial entertainment you know outlets, not just what we mean by Hollywood, but all its international. Uh, Analogues. It's been a a green gold rush beyond belief. Without mm-hmm. necessarily, mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't know. I'm a little bit cynical about how much effect it's had in the world. How many sea turtles were say you know saving? Mean, I don't. I think <laughs> it's looking pretty grim on on the actual yeah, results. Neg-
1: negligible frame. Yeah. yeah. But in
0: terms of making people feel good as you said about Mm -hmm. consumption rather than cool or getting laid or you know because that's all still there still you know that that part hasn't gone away but the whole gigantic uh, consumption communication industry benefited
1: enormously from adding that moral good to the to their formula yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's corporate advertising as palliative care basically well, well, I think that. Well, I just I, I mean, I, here's a really great example
0: because the other thing that uh, I'm uh, involved um, with Novica, which is the uh, a commercial arm of of the National Geographic, in terms of selling product, uh, fabric, you know, clothing, uh, artifacts, just they're they're cool. They do a lot of cool things, and their gift catalog came out. And I was looking at this one, uh, it's quite a beautiful sort of uh, Mexican Central American patterned uh, women's jacket. And there's a nice story about how buying that would be, you know, a good thing. And so I'm taking that information in and I'm looking at the model, I'm going, God, she's really hot in a perfect way. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I, I would, you know, she's not a model model, but she's really beautiful. And she makes you feel okay, you know, looking at her, you know. And I thought, wow, that is, those are two different you know, things going on, you know. And that is, is how subtle and how well done it is sometimes. But it's even when it's not subtle and well done, it's so pervasive. It is a cornerstone of the whole media
1: uh, framework now. It's vital. Right, right. Right. I think that we should go back to just pure sexuality for advertising. That seems at least a bit more entertaining and than, honest, perhaps. It, like, and just seeing like hot chicks dancing around TV, and it's like, hey, go get Tide Pods instead of you know, kind of what we have, which is like, oh, here's a dopey family. Uh, <laughs> it's like I want to see uh, you know, like some some uh, lady. Like, very, with a very sultry voice, selling me Starbucks cappuccinos. I'm into that idea. I, I feel like I'm. I don't actually feel like I'm being talked down to in that way. The way that I feel like I'm being talked down to now by advertising. Where it's like, you know, oh, you know, you really should. You should be concerned about this thing and buying our product or getting this app or, you know, turning in this rebate will, you know, feed. This many that's it's all a scam, right? It's like I don't believe you I don't believe you're going to feed a single child if I buy a Starbucks. Well, you
0: know, the thing that is weird about that See the direct appeals to to sympathy and empathy and A lot of that was proven a long time ago to not be successful. You know people just Mm -hmm. uh, Mm I don't know if you've seen the ads. I see them online But, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart from uh, the Star Trek series and, you know, the British comes on and he says, Hello, I'm Patrick Stewart. And I just start laughing. I really do start laughing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I, I just, it has the complete inversion of, of the desired effect but it nonetheless does scramble the total neural field, there's no question. It makes me mm-hmm. maybe more susceptible to a less direct approach. But that's the thing, we're just so embattled with these and mess. That's why I, I assigned the challenge that I did, is that I think mm-hmm. a little bit of, of humor coming into the holiday season, which everyone says has been you know so commercialized, it's... Uh, you know, that's really its main purpose,
1: sadly. I don't think mm-hmm. that's totally mm-hmm. true at all, but it's certainly there. Uh, I, You know, can I float a, a slightly controversial opinion? Which is that I sort of like the consumerism of the holidays. It feels good. It, it's just a nice... It's, it's kind of, uh, you know, gift-giving and potlatch and, you know, spending money that you've earned to purchase. Rios and I are big book buyers. Our nieces and nephews hate us because they know we're getting them books instead of a cool toy every Christmas. Uh, it kind of feels good though. I like that element of it. Once a year, just a a thon Again, it feels honest to me. If you If you engage with that element of the holidays, which is obviously just one facet of many, but I like that, that hectic rush to, you know, find Christmas deals and seeing something that you think somebody will really like and purchasing it and sending it to them. Or buying I something for yourself. <laughs> or For yourself, yeah. yeah,
0: that too. You know, oh, well, look, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think if people would just chill out a bit and, and just, you know... This is the weird thing about uh, this phrase goblin mode because it appears to be everyone just letting their hair down and just not bathing even because of they've been home with covid and you know it it just is a complete loss of self-respect and dignity but on the other hand it is also you know honest too and i think that if we could just get a little bit of that happening i mean to some extent isn't that the real problem with the whole uh eating thing around the holidays but eating generally and sort of this movement towards obesity and just uh, or or super dieting I mean dieting is still an enormous industry Uh, I mean it's just worth Mm -hmm. a squillion Mm -hmm. talk about the publishing industry being worth something well that dieting is a really important part of that total Uh, so if we could maybe relax some of that disorder and dysfunction and Real psychic anguish about eating. If we were just a little bit, you know, honest about how it all works, and you know, having some mm-hmm. a little bit of balance. Yeah, you're going to splurge at some point, but you don't splurge every day. You know, that
1: kind of right. basic thing. It's it's a festival. It's what a festival means. Yeah, you know, a fest- festival is going goblin mode to an extent. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, everybody, you know, drinks and dances. And when you're with your family, you're with your family. When you're in the store buying presents, you're in the store buying presents. It's all fine so long as you don't wish you were somewhere else. That's the key. Yeah. No matter what you're doing. I mean, so <clears throat> I'm trying to just embrace all of it. I used to kind of dread going to the in laws' house because I'd be like, oh, God. Because they're the well, in-laws. <laughs> they're the, but now it's like, I'm here. It's fine. Yeah. We're, we're, it's cool. I'll, I'm, I'm sitting on a couch uh, and, you know, maybe checking my phone, uh, maybe watching whatever cheesy movies on TV. Uh, but I like it. Sure, turn on, uh, you know, those claymation Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I love that. It's great. I... I because you know somebody (laughs) I turned 36 last Thursday and I uh, was talking to my friend uh, David James Keaton on the phone and I told him I said you know the average the average uh, age of death for males in America is like 72 or 73 so I'm like I'm kind of halfway there and he said think about it this way you only have 36 summers left and I said oh my god I only have it's. It's possible, it's possible that I only have thirty six Christmases left. You know what I mean. So I'm not going to spend a single one of them uh, lamenting where I'm at. Right. I'm going to enjoy them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so interesting. Well, I'll just say I. I was. I was waiting to hear how the birthday celebration went. I thought I would let you introduce that, uh, but I think what what the report from the field is, is, is a wonderfully uh, just vivid performance of what it means to be male in your mid-30s. You know, you've just given uh, us that yeah. because it is so, I mean, it really, it resonates with me very much, but it's also just hilarious. And mm-hmm. I think that one of the challenges that sort of the mid-30s uh, sets for us and, and we may be only dimly aware of it, you know uh, it's kind of like the way a field looks in, you know, Iowa or North Dakota at night or Nevada, you know, when you pull off to the side, of and or parts of Oklahoma too, when you pull off to the side of, of a road and you've only got your car lights to see you know, you kind of just see that much field. but I think what you've outlined is that moment in the life journey where we start to have some dim idea that there is a kind of ridiculous side to ourselves and we have to negotiate with that, make peace with it, be able to deal with it because it's, it's not going to go away. It's, you know, that's, that's for certain but it's that first level of understanding about that and also so it means kind of self acceptance it it's it's that but it's also kind of self challenge you know and i think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that uh you know i really that's what i would change about my past i would have really nurtured or sought out the ability to to balance those two things more effectively cuz it's but maybe that's not possible. Maybe we go through phases of just beating ourselves up and then other times just overrating ourselves entirely. and that's mm-hmm, the nature mm-hmm. of the beast. I don't know, but
1: yeah, yeah. if you're beating yourself up, beat yourself up. If you're overrating yourself, overrate yourself. It's such a it's such a uh, the the power of tautology, I think is really it, it goes beyond words to just. To say some when you're doing something be doing that thing <clears throat> it doesn't go much deeper than that for me but i can i can feel it i can feel it it's just all about being present in wherever you're at right so if i'm feeling down like the only the thing that i'm not supposed to do that is to try to run away from that right it's like oh i'll distract myself or it's like no like, lay on the floor and feel sorry for yourself <laughs> it's fine, but really embody that feeling, you know. And if I'm feeling amazing, I just finished a book, and I'm thinking, oh, oh, by the way, listeners, uh a Dying World" by J. David Osborne is now available to purchase. Oh, good, okay, go good. Away. I look but forward to that. If thanks, if if you're feeling yourself, then give yourself that too. It's the major key for me is to just make sure to you know to repeat myself. You know that I, I'm never. I'm never wishing that I was somewhere else. You know, I'm always happy to be right here. Or if not happy is the wrong word, I'm always present.
0: Right? Look, I think that's I'm present enough to be happy. That is you see the what I'm word. saying. And I think that that uh, there's a lot of richness in in words like present or here now or or to focus on not who we are so much but where are we? You know? It's really right, we, right. we just it's this rejection of being embodied that that everyone has <laughs> and it, it really it, it's a species of ingratitude that just has to end if you really have hope to have any kind of development uh, spiritually and cosmically you you got to start with the acceptance of of being embodied and where you are and therefore present really starts to to be luminous and start to glow and have that kind of high end clarity like a Glockenspiel note, you know? It's really it's really resonant and and vibrant and happy starts to seem kind of well, sort of tatty and just sort of flat, you
1: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of many emotions that we have in the deck. And everything is... Because everything is so fleeting, you, you want to really embrace whatever emotion you're in. I'm, I'm telling you that Keaton, you know, he's, a, he's an asshole, but I love him to death. And his, you know, you only have 36 summers left. It really got me thinking. It got me... Because th- you, you hear about people getting cancer diagnoses and all of a sudden every... Second is precious, and it's like, well, let me just uh skip to that first, you know. I mean, like, why wait for the diagnosis? Well,
0: you know, I i love that kind of uh sort of shamanistic eeyore sort of aspect of, of yeah. the line you know yeah. it's really like yeah. he's got a, a a real kind of angle there rather than being a, a sort of a white ant you know saboteur or sort of you know damning by faint mm-hmm. praise always being kind of down those kind of people are just energy drains you know no question about it because yeah. they don't really have a yeah, focus parasites. they just do that by reflex but He's got a real, you know, I, I love that you could do a beautiful dialogue of, of, you know, from two different points of view. And I, I love that you've only got 36 summers, left, you know, and, and really that's, <laughs> you know, that would be a blessing if you could even say that, you know, with any kind of confidence. Sure. Yeah.
1: But I love uh, that.
0: It reminds me of... um and this should give, the point of my, my comment to follow is that we should all have a little bit of confidence in, in being perverse from time to time or subversive, at least with friends. Because yep. I had this friend mm-hmm. in college who was just, he was shameless. He was absolutely yeah. shameless. And he, he did have a few favorite targets. Uh, but this one guy, you'll see why. Because my friend Pete, Uh, And he could do this with such confidence. And um, I'll call the other guy Eric. That wasn't his name. Mm -hmm. But he'd he'd rush up to uh, Eric, you know, coming out in the front of uh, the shared house that everybody was in. And he'd go, Eric, you know, have you heard there is a new technique that is so liberating for your mind it just it it ex, it excites your brain in new ways mm-hmm. stepping in fresh dog shit barefoot <laughs> like that that pile right here and he would just sell it in like a mixture of old fuller brushman and and real just gorgeous uh, televangelist strength and sure enough Mm. Eric stepped in that dog shit man and was really excited
1: he was really (laughs) excited and liberated that's too funny you know that is too funny I love that but good for him I mean that's still good for him he's still feeling the feeling of liberation well exactly
0: you know I mean who's to say that 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 wasn't really a, a gift Truly, and not just a hilarious, uh, sick prank, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. but we need to have a little bit more courage in the the communications we have, at least with friends, and, you know, pulling people's leg a little bit, or surprising people, or, you know, throwing them curveballs. I mean, everyone's so afraid of saying anything that's out of line at all. We've forgotten that just the... You know, the basic joy
1: of, of uh, you know, yeah. sticking it to a friend in a bit. You know, the post office. Yeah, I was in the post office today, and I was uh, dropping off some packages for Rios, and the clerk behind the desk, behind the register, had this really nice diver's watch. And I just said, hey, man, that's a really cool watch. And we got to talking, and he's like, yeah, I'm trying to get my, what what is it, like a scuba training or whatever, and... Like I just before I said cool watch I felt a rush of like, Oh, this feels like maybe inappropriate. Like I shouldn't compliment this guy. But no, screw that. Like it was nice and we we talked. We we, we kinda of became fast friends there while he was mailing off those packages. It's good. It's good to talk to people, joke around. You know.
0: Well we f- you know, we forget that, you know. Starting with Freud, really, but certainly so many, uh, you know, major, fre- including Jung, you know, talked about repression in some forms. Freud really made a big deal, you know, always for repressing or suppressing things in in a social public sense. But there are a lot of things that we suppress that are really good, just fun, simple interchanges, compliments. You know, perfectly acceptable things. That but we're just worried about well we've overstepped the line or we've violated some sort of Mm -hmm, space mm -hmm. or you know. And it just becomes Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the new sort of neurosis. That's that's very widespread, I think, you
1: know. I think so too. I think so too. Well, on that note, we have a lot of cool stuff to talk about next time too. You sent me a cool text with a lot of this stuff. Do you want to hear wrap rap about Christmas.
0: Look, we are, we are ready and, uh, you know, everyone's a connoisseur of this art form. That's why it's as popular and enduring as it uh-huh. is. So, yeah. we are ready. Alright.
1: I'll do it a little slow. "'Twas the night before Christmas and I ain't trying to preach. We need to talk about Santa and his deer's hate speech. Internalized white supremacy, self-hating deer... Santa's getting free labor and he's anti-queer. Won't use they-them for his workshop elves. Self-care, he don't care. They all killed themselves. Now there's no presence for unhoused black bodies. Bigotry and hatred got the whole world naughty. Now, I ain't saying Santa's fascist, but check this out, right? Who else wore a uniform that's red, black, and white?
0: Okay. I'm going to ask the question that every listener is thinking right now can uh, you swear that you created that really in real time during this show that you haven't pre-prepared mm-hmm. that
1: nope yep okay no will that swear up and down the only I, I just the only thing you told me beforehand was that this was going to involve rap and uh I was ready to go. (laughs) I was, I was, well, look, I think we've
0: got to, uh, you've got to do a a, a really just, yeah, take your time, do a nice recording of that, send it to me, and we'll package it up as a Christmas single from Lost Explorers. (laughs) Because I think that was just outstanding. Mm. I, I, and it also, um, in addition just to being overall good, you know, it had that element of, of good surprise, you know, as it unfolded, mm-hmm. and, and kind of new levels of challenge. And I think you, you you underscored some of the the strengths of rap as a poetic or communicative form, uh, which it so often doesn't deliver. So I think you did a great job there. Uh,
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm particularly happy about the unhoused black bodies and uh, naughty. Yeah. Refusing I'm, yeah, to, I think to use. Uh, to use pronouns <laughs> like jordan peterson santa claus oh man no, kind i am that no
0: it just and and i i there's so many things to say about it really and that's that's the way it should be i think you can uh you can go home now for the day as we say
1: all right oh, yeah. woohoo yeah all right. Well, right i'm glad you liked it. i have a lot of fun any any rap challenges that you want to throw my way i'm a uh, I'm into it well we might do that more I
0: think it is you know I that's kind of my relationship to it now is really as a technique and, and something to to use I don't actually enjoy it as a uh, a popular you know so called music form so much anymore but uh, I still mm. think it has mm-hmm. a lot to uh, to teach as you just ran down and in that I guess it, it still is a viable popular entertainment form because that does entertain me as well um But well done, well done. Thank you,
1: thank you. Uh, Okay, well, we have tips and tools. Yeah,
0: I'm going to try to match that just exceptional performance with a tool, um, which is algorithm forming, and I I want to give an example, and it's not that I'm uh, the process of how I arrived at this idea is what I'm recommending, Um, not the not my particular examples necessarily. But here's how it worked. Here's how it evolved. The final idea here is to try to get a more precise understanding of some deep associative patterns that we all have. I'm going to outline an associative pattern of mine. Don't get stuck on those two celebrities that form that pattern. Think about the patterns that you have, and trying to understand them with a little bit more precision. But here's how it went: I chanced to watch the movie Basic Instinct, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone again.
1: Ah, love that movie! I hadn't
0: I seen that. it a long time. It it it, it, it did play uh, some sort of role in my thinking uh, when I wrote Private Midnight. Um, I could see that. So yeah. I I watched it again and. I actually had a very strange reaction to to Sharon Stone's character, which was that was a real career making role for her, and I remember being enthralled earlier. And of course, she is, I think, really just beautiful and and hot. Her eyes are just mesmerizing, but I found myself strangely, uh, well, I couldn't work out the the descriptor there. I couldn't it was in the annoying sort of range. It was in some sort of resistance or or disengagement. And I thought, you know, that's not easy for someone, for a woman, as intriguing-looking as Sharon Stone to have that kind of effect. And and that triggered a very obvious association to Kathleen Turner in Body Mm -hmm. Heat. Now... Mm -hmm. I hadn't. I also went back and saw that, but that was more than a year ago. I think that was about sixteen months ago that I did that. And but when I thought of that experience, something clicked in my mind. There was a. Re, I I really was re-enthralled by Kathleen Turner in Body Heat, and I think there are sort of obvious comparisons. They're both femme fatales in a kind of neo noir way. Um if by chance listeners have not seen both those films or don't recall them, I would be very surprised. But Kathleen Turner reintrigued me in exactly the same proportion. I felt intuitively that Sharon Stone deintrigued me. And I realized I had in that just very isolated and specific juxtaposition, comparison, binary, whatever, I had a little clue to a much bigger set of associations, values, and connections within my own mind. And I thought, I have the beginning anchor point of some kind of algorithm. I don't have the full algorithm you know, yet. It's obviously not that clear. But we're talking about things that are inherently not clear. Really deep substrate matrices of associative patterns that then we build up into coherence. <laughs> we and and way many levels up from that are things like our social and political beliefs, you know? But there's this gigantic understructure of really complex patterns that we only occasionally get glimpses of. But if we do get a good glimpse, as I did, and we take note of that, and we just let that resonate in our mind a little bit. All sorts of other ripples start happening. I was thinking of the, your tuning forks and you know the resonance of my mallet instruments. All these ripples start to happen. And I've really gotten a glimpse at maybe three or four other patterns like this. And they each in turn interact <coughs> and change my whole sense of things and a lot of odd thoughts that things that had been very either disconnected schismatic or I just never related to you know at all I wouldn't have even thought of putting them in the same sentence suddenly there's a li- I can feel this you know convergence and shifting of energy in my mind and that's a very powerful and exhilarating experience and I think that it starts with just a little attentiveness to any kind of associative pattern that we get a glimpse of. And we, we can't be afraid of how idiosyncratic or eccentric it is. That's the point. It's a deep level of our own thinking that maybe will kind of uh, shock us or surprise us or, you know, we'll just go, whoa. Um, but take note of it and and try to build something from that because it if you give it a chance, those little glimpses uh, towards an algorithm of sense, and just make peace with that idea that maybe algorithms you know, really do have a magic purpose, then some things start to form, and, and that process alone is worth pursuing. So that's my
1: tool. That's great. I love the idea of radical acceptance of these things that we have a knee-jerk reaction against such as algorithms. Right, right. And you know what I mean? Like reframing that uh, it's all part of my new uh, be present type idea. So, like, well, what's the what's the utility here of the algorithm? Yeah. I think that's a useful yeah. re- useful useful reframing tool.
0: And and it's perfectly good for you to think about utility and and what is helpful. Yeah. That's that's you know, that's okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. in old mm-hmm. 60s terms, mm-hmm. you're okay, you know, for that. I mean, yeah. that, that, mm-hmm. that's something we really do have to, to give ourselves permission to, because that's what that whole, that's when that idea of present really begins wow. to start resonating and, and having real meaning. And that's also, I think, what resonates through the giving of presence to other people. You know, it's the same word, oddly. Uh, and I think it's it's worth thinking about how those two connect. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. Now that's great. Uh, I do and
0: this ties in nicely and it's also a kind of variation on uh, the inversion technique that we often talk about and it's a variation on my uh, simple word substitution idea which I think is very powerful and to think always in terms of synonyms, synonyms and antonyms for words to to give a little greater clarity. But this is about a concept. Now we've all heard the uh, the question. It's a philosophical question, but it's often just you know said in casual bar stool terms. If a tree falls in the forest is and no one is around, is there a sound? Okay, everyone, you know that's a cliché. A phrase and a cliched idea, but we know that it, right. what it means. We know, it, you know, even if we don't know who Bishop Barclay is, we have some idea that it connects back to. Uh, if something isn't perceived, well, then how do we even know it exists? Okay, we we understand mm-hmm. that idea, mm-hmm. but why, I ask myself, do we not say, "Where does a mirror?" an empty frame if no one is there to look in a mirror does it reflect anything now i think it's odd that we use an auditory example of the tree falling in the forest is there a sound when our vision is is the dominant sense you know i think it's odd that we don't think of it that way and i think that the mirror Example gives us another way to look at the same philosophical question but from a different perspective and as we always say getting a new perspective is very difficult so just by substituting that so my, my, my tip simplified is rehabilitate cliches try to rewire them mm-hmm. because they, mm-hmm. they persist and endure for a reason they're kind of ironic, because we say, oh, that's just a cliché. But yeah, it doesn't go away, though, does it? It's self-sustaining noise, in a way. And that's a kind of magic. And I think we should be a little bit more respectful of magic wherever we find it. But maybe to just get a hold of a cliché and just rewire it, you know? Hack it
1: yeah, and see what happens. You, you you never walk through the same door twice how about that one
0: exactly which is you know a variation on Heraclitus you you know you can't step in the same river twice well you start pulling those things apart and they ripple off in their own sort of way I mean and you could do a beautiful rap just taking you know a string of say 25 cliches and rewiring them and you've got you know an instant you know piece of of rap poetry,
1: really, I think. Mm hmm, mm hmm. No, oh, that's excellent. I like both of these. Re understanding the algorithm and repurposing cliches, I think, is, uh, you know, we're sort of um, sifting through the wreckage of, of culture, right? As it's being fracked into. Shout out to Jay Springett, but culture's being fracked to death with endless sequels and reboots, and we could do a little fracking of our own and repurposing of our own I think of like sci-fi obviously that's where my head goes but you know you'll have a a big junk pile full of robot parts and we all have gas masks on and we're sort of sifting through for you know we got to build a wind farm so that we can have some crops and uh, that's sort of what we're doing with culture right just like trying to find stuff that we can plug in and reuse. I love the idea of
0: repurposing. I think what you just ran down, you know, minus rhymes was really a beautiful rap unto itself. Yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, (laughs) exactly, you know, what what we need to do. And to, I mean, it is kind of a basic acceptance of where we fall in some kind of uh, timeline, however constructed or, or, you know, so called real that might be, that we are maybe not so much at a time of really creation as is repurposing, you know? Which could be a beautiful that sounds much I, I like that's the sound of that much more than recycling, you know? Recycling mm-hmm. seems kind mm-hmm. of like self-defeating <laughs> to me. But repurposing yeah, yeah. sounds really uh kind of gorgeous humble, uh, but optimistic, uh, purposeful, literally, you know. I I think that that has a kind of uh, a good challenge for the new year and a good kind of way to think of of where we are coming into the holiday season of kind of repurposing it and and asking, well, what what utility, you know, and and thinking good thoughts about that, of what utility means. It's okay, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you have a dream? I for do, us? and this
0: is—I uh, hope I can really convey the richness of this, because it was incredibly vivid, and it did trigger a whole range of thoughts. Uh, I think we all have um, sort of specific forms of of, of the anxiety dream—not the nightmare, but a, a very kind of. Anxiety is how I would describe it. It's it's the it's an adult phenomenon. I think it, we kind of our younger versions of it might be where we appear naked in public or we're on the toilet in a very public situation. Those kind of shame and embarrassment mm-hmm. ones. And then I've had some very specific ones of uh, trying to break back into an old residence uh, because I've forgotten something. Um, and The Landlord is is very difficult. That was a big one for a while. But this one is it comes up in my dream index, index from time to time and it's a little uh, odd in that I'm temporarily house-sitting. And I think that's that state is very important. The house was completely unlike any that I've ever been, much more ornate, uh, really kind of tacky, but, but nonetheless expensive. And I couldn't th- work out in any way who I've ever known personally that, that would have a, a residence like that. So that in alone makes me um, anxious within the dream. And it's raining, a really very odd rainstorm happening. Intermittent, but really intense and it's the middle of the night. It's well after midnight, and I should be asleep, but I'm not. And in the driveway, these lights of cars appear and a very strange miscellany of people, between six and 12 people in a couple of different cars. And they kind of softly and gently invade the residents I open the door to see who they are and they come in as if they're expected and the they're really a peculiar group, some of them are genuinely old people, I'm very sure of, but other people in this group are dressed with wigs and have canes and makeup to make them look old there's something unpleasant that happens when I try to stop this guy with a very prominent bow tie and then I end up wrestling with this bald dude and I start stabbing him I'm not sure where I get the implement uh, this might have been related to the ice pick from the basic instinct movie I don't know mm-hmm. but I stab the living bejesus out of it and there's blood everywhere and, and there's absolutely no reaction from the other people and i throw down the weapon and i just you know i say you got to get out of here and i'm really forceful and they do they shuffle outside they they you know but i close the door and i know that they're not leaving that they're coming back i know that that's just and they have turned right around and they're marching in and that's uh when i woke up but the thing that really got me and i really started writing some notes about this um is that moment when i told them to leave and they did leave but i knew that they weren't and it was like this very strange collective mind that uh wasn't a mob and it wasn't like night of the living dead or that kind of zombie thing it was even something a little bit darker, as in more insidious, uh, and harder to understand. And then I, I wrote down, and it's just the handwriting is just amazing because I was obviously just woken up, I wrote down, might a mob mentality ironically be a conflicted expression of resistance to total group capitulation? a clamor of we and us that's really a desperate fearful course, chorus of I and me and that was a weird uh, moment to sort of take out I, I, it's a complex reaction I don't know if that will uh, get through to people but it really was a moment of encountering a kind of New or a version of collective thinking that is normally very hard to keep in mind, you know, because we do go to the mob idea or to the night of the living dead or uh, hive mind or something like that. But I think I glimpsed something else, and mm-hmm. I don't, I'm this is my idea of, of kind of you know digging at these deep patterns. I've just, I, I took the trouble to write that down, and it's part of my journal now. I'm just going to let it just resonate of its own, because I know it will. I know it will.
1: I suspect you're right. I suspect that the, the, uh, everything being its inverse and someone who does choose to be sovereign or individual being more community-based than the mob... And I love the idea of the mob as a as an expression of self-interest, essentially. As a as a solidification of the eye. I <clears throat> I, th- I feel like there's a great David Lynch quote where he says, Eraserhead is my most spiritual film. And the interviewer says, Do you care to elaborate on that? And he says, No. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm gonna leave it at that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a good place to leave it. And again, I think that rap was fantastic. You've got to really, uh, lay that down fully, properly, and, and then send it to me and I will do something with it, because uh, it's a holiday <laughs> single, I think, that we...
1: Can we, can we pitch shift my voice down so it's... Oh, yeah, face?
0: no, I'll do some, I'll do some work on it. You've got to trust me on that front. Uh, you've done your bit now and I'll just, uh and, uh... Well, I'll let you hear it first, you know, and then, in, you know, make sure you're happy with it. But yeah, I'll have a good fool around with it. I think that's worth it. I think that's really worth it. It was really, really awesome. terrific. Awesome.
1: All right, folks. Well, that'll do it for today. Yeah. Thanks for, Thanks
0: for listening. Out. Take care. Be well.